0: Hi, oh, it's me again. As I'm sure you're aware, our first episode back from hiatus became a two parter. We talked too much. Shocker. This is part two, so if you haven't done so already, make sure you go back and check out part one. Enjoy! So from one thing, Hannibal, which was added back to Netflix in recent weeks, to another thing that was added back to Netflix and has caused a big old hoo-ha on Twitter and the like, the Twilight franchise arrived back on Netflix recently, prompting a rewatch from pretty much everyone, including ourselves, and it's something that actually we have both wanted to do together for a really long time especially because april and i had our first date meet cute it really was a date wasn't it it was our first oh my god it was our meet cute I've it just was thought about that. it was our literal meet cute holy shit. together at was it a midnight screening of new moon uh yes
1: steph it was indeed a midnight screening of new moon in 2009 Can
0: you believe it? You love to see it. So that's when this beautiful relationship began. So actually, this is something that's very close to our hearts. And uh, we know it's not exactly a critically acclaimed masterpiece. But we have enjoyed it in the past. It's certainly something that brought us together. And I think we both... Wanted to go back, rewatch it, and see whether it held up to the hype and whether it held up to the scrutiny, really. So, in case you possibly somehow do not know, Twilight is a vampire romance novel which was written by Stephanie Mayer and it was published in 2005. It had a print run originally of 75,000 copies and then it debuted on the New York Times bestseller list at number five, but then within a month of its release, it peaked at number one. Success really hit for the novel when the film came out and the first film twilight was released in 2008 i was 19 so you were probably 20 Mm, i was 20 when the first one came out okay so first year of twilight was first year of uni for me yeah second year of uni for me second year of uni for you so we were a little bit older we certainly weren't the teenage age bracket when this first came out film wise so the first film grossed $35.7 $35.7 million on its opening day. And after that, Summit Entertainment announced that they would begin production on New Moon. And they had acquired the rights to the remaining novels earlier that same month. New Moon came out in 2009, Eclipse 2010. And then they shot the final book, Breaking Dawn. They split that into a two-part adaptation, which came out in 2011 and 2012, respectively. Overall, the franchise has grossed over $3.3 billion which is fairly bananas. So we did a little rewatch over the past week and had a nice running commentary between us, but we have now pooled our thoughts. Before we go into that rewatch, what was your first experience of Twilight? And did you have a relationship to the novels in any way?
1: So I definitely came to it via the films and not the book series first. Mm-hmm. So I heard a bit about it, about how this film was coming out, teen vampire romp, and then went to see it uh, in 2008. I think I saw this in the cinema four, potentially five times.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it four times. And I think they were pretty much all with Ashley, probably. So I didn't really have
1: any awareness of the series, book series in itself, prior to the film one. And then novels wise, I then definitely went back and read The remainder of the series so I went back and did it from the start when I finished university in the summer of 2009 so when I finished my undergrad degree I was basically fed up with having spent three years analyzing very worthy texts holy shit me too not being able to pick up a book and then think about like you know what the author really means and blah 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 and I just wanted something that was like slightly lighter than Mm -hmm. everything I'd been immersing myself in and I pretty much mainlined them all in a really short period of time and then I was just like fully fully invested so yeah it was definitely like film first then book which traditionally is not my usual way of doing things I think I've mentioned before that I have a real like stress when book adaptations happen and I haven't read the book first because then if I go back and read the book after the film all I can think about is the film is the
0: film version yeah that makes sense I think mine mine's like very much in parallel to you actually I imagine it is very similar to a lot of people our age so yeah seeing it multiple times in the cinema seeing it film first and then following up with the book and pretty much exactly the same so i know i read twilight after seeing the film and then after i'd finished my degree um it was literally the whole series was the first thing that i read as a kind of like i don't know detox <laughs> It was definitely a detox for me. Doing a a BA and a master's in English and um, spending all my time dissecting Shakespeare and James Joyce's Ulysses and all the like. All the boring shit. Yeah, all the boring shit. Yeah, after writing two dissertations on horror novels as well, I just really fancied a bit of Twilight Light Relief. So uh, went into those. And um, were you originally, were you Team Edward or were you Team Jacob? Okay, controversial. On
1: the first film Mm -hmm. was extremely Team Edward. Mm -hmm. Well, there's basically no Jacob in it. no and I wasn't really into the long hair. And then I essentially changed camps and was extremely Team Jacob thereafter because I really like wolves.
0: I seem to remember having this conversation with you from New Moon onwards as well. But um, I stayed staunchly Team Edward because I just refused to renounce the vampire crown in any way, shape or form. That in in no way surprises me whatsoever. As a a vampire in training myself, I just... Well, it's nice that we
1: uh, operate on two sides of the coin then really isn't it that i am extremely wolf based and that you are just extremely pro vampire
0: although spoiler it it doesn't bode well for me being team edward after this rewatch but um (laughs) if we go through our rewatch let's just go through the films one by one pretty briefly um and then we'll have a look at kind of our, our final thoughts what it's like going back and watching these as 30 something year old women I have to say, despite watching them all in the past week, I feel like they've already blurred into one and I've forgotten a lot of stuff. And I that might say quite a lot yeah. about the franchise in itself. <laughs> I just can't remember what happens in half of them.
1: It's really funny because I feel like, because one was released every single year mm-hmm. for essentially four or five years. Yeah. They were always such an event and all of them, apart from Eclipse, came out around Christmas time. It was time, always so Christmas was like... time.
0: That was like the big Christmas film, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Yeah, for real it was November December time it was always around the end of the year it was always like a home from uni or like Christmas holidays like type situation and it was really funny watching them across the week and I think that like it really makes you
0: realise how thin the plot is this is one of my key things actually it really is I mean I've definitely watched Twilight the first film many many more times than the other films oh 100% I can quote my way through that like verbatim yeah once a year if not every other year i've watched that film so let's yeah let's start from twilight we'll do a run through so as we said twilight was released in 2008 it was directed by Catherine hardwick who had previously directed 13 which is a banger of a film i love Thirteen. i completely forgotten about and would love to re-watch because i really went through a, a phase of watching that religiously um with a screenplay by melissa rosenberg who stayed as the screenwriter for all of the films actually and it stars, as we well know, Kristen Stewart as Bella, we've got Rob Pattinson as Edward and Taylor Lautner as Jacob Black. We've also got Peter Fassanelli, Elizabeth Reese, Ashley Green, Nikki Reed, Jackson Rathbun, Billy Burke, Anna Kendrick and many others. And the brief, brief plot, if there is a plot, is Bella Swan. So she reloc- relocates to Forks, Washington to live with her father and At school she meets this mysterious Edward Cullen who she feels herself drawn to and the pair fall in love and later she discovers that he is a vampire. A visiting vampire clan then catches Bella's unique scent and one of the vampires, James, becomes obsessed with making Bella his next victim. Fearing for Bella's safety and that of her loved ones, the Cullens, who are Edward's family, must combine their collective talents to save Bella's life. Thank you Wikipedia and Rotten Tomatoes.
1: Steph, I feel like more happens in that Wikipedia synopsis. <laughs> than actually
0: happens in the film. I will be quite honest. I think I did it beautifully, really. That you did a was... so, did a stellar job there. Thank you so much. Two things I read that were interesting. So Stephanie Mayer, I mean, she had quite a lot of involvement with all of these films. She originally pictured Emily Browning and Henry Cavill as the leads. I've never heard that before. Are you kidding me? Emily Browning. Unless Wikipedia has been tampered with, that is the rumour. And then Henry yeah, who was her original choice for Edward also turned down the role of Carlisle. So that was a double negative on Henry Cavill. I would fucking be here for Henry Cavill as Carlisle. That would have been so funny. Can you imagine? I feel really bad because I think Peter Fassanelli was basically like 27th on the list. But he does a good job, guys. Does a good job. And also, one of my other favourite things that I read about this was that, and this just shows how intensely the fanbase felt about the books and this film, that the choice of Ashley Green to portray Alice Cullen was the subject of a lot of fan criticism because Alice Cullen is seven inches shorter than Ashley Green, the actress. So Ashley Green is taller than her character by about 18 centimetres and this caused a lot of outrage. Rewatching watching this what works for you and what
1: doesn't it's really hard for me to be objectively critical about the titular Twilight because like I just remember being so invested in it like obsessively invested like but also fully aware that it is absolutely cringe 100% like any good teen drama it's like deeply cringeworthy and
0: embarrassing it kind of taps into your I don't know awkward teenage fantasy it's like a peak moody emo teen it is it really is but the soundtrack like absolutely slaps. It is such a banger, isn't it? I think Decode is probably the best Paramour
1: song, maybe ever. I would go on record, i.e., this podcast, and say that Decode is Paramour's <laughs> best song. Yeah. That in itself is like reason alone for this to be considered God tier. I don't know, I just I just remember just absolutely adoring it. And even though it's like completely preposterous
0: and the dialogue is insane, it is it's so quotable in possibly the worst kind of way. Um I have to say during this rewatch, the that- Wes was watching it with me for the first time and it was so funny to watch someone have like fresh reactions (laughs) to it because I'm fully aware that like the line falling in love with the lamb and like being my own personal brand of heroin is particularly awful.
1: Hold on tight spider monkey
0: other things that in
1: it that particularly st- I mean I think like, no word of a lie I genuinely think about that baseball
0: scene about once a week because I just think it's so it's so good. I think it's the only time I've appreciated Muse. Yeah, in the last 20 years
1: such a brilliant execution so there's all the good things and then there's just like the weird little things that i don't think i'd necessarily picked up on and a lot of these are things that have been like absolutely memed in the years since so like the edward and bella meeting for the first time in class where (laughs) he like absolutely can't sit next to her because she smells obviously needs a shower she needs a shower and then when she's like
0: sniffing herself like that moment alone absolutely just kills me that is definitely something i did at school like obsessively sniff myself to make sure i didn't stink but it's just like little things
1: like no one thinks it's weird that all of the cullens are siblings but also they're adopted fine but they're also dating. I think you'll find that Jessica
0: has a big problem with that.
1: This is something I was going to pick up on actually when we get to talking about Breaking Dawn and the wedding scene but like I have mixed feelings now regarding Anna Kendrick because I feel like the tide has turned a little bit and she's just become a bit annoying but for me now as an adult re-watching this I feel like Jessica is supposed to be the surrogate of the viewer in this entire thing because oh, she's like, absolutely. she's like the one person that is like is no one genuinely concerned about these situations? Like isn't it weird that they just don't come to school on some days or like. It's such a funny wink isn't it? It's so knowing I mean I do personally think this is the best of all of them um, and I can't tell whether that's just because I've watched it so many times and have such fond like first experience attachments or if it's just because it's the most kind of I guess self-aware but not like embarrassing about it. Absolutely. Where's its heart on its sleeve doesn't it? 100%. What's your kind of feeling on it? Or is there anything in particular that stood out for you? I feel very
0: similar to you. The grey blue colour palette is like so blue, so good moody. Just love the moodiness of this. The soundtrack, as you pointed out, those Rob Pattinson songs on there, unbelievable. And also, you mentioned Jessica being kind of really knowing Charlie as well. I've no I noticed during that rewatch, there oh, are yeah. times where he's either like rolling his eyes or just looking completely exasperated, and it's not just because he's worried about Bella, it's also because he just can't believe like what the fuck is going on <laughs> most of the time. Like we'll come to this, but in break in Dawn where they're like oh this is our niece who we've adopted and is now our daughter he's like yeah okay sure sure if you say so it knows its own ridiculousness doesn't it yeah and it does where i i know objectively there are so many elements that shouldn't like that can be laughed at but it i don't know there's something about it it wears its heart on its sleeve man and i think yeah having like that mix of nostalgia for it and also knowing that it does tap into like a lot of teenage fantasies. I mean, one thing that I've definitely picked up on before but watching it with Wes and seeing his frustration, it's so true that there is absolutely no sense of driving action in this film, like, whatsoever. No, apart from, really. like, the last 20 minutes when James kicks off. But it is truly a film in which nothing happens. And I, I'm quite here for it, but there is not a lot that goes on. And also the fact that Edward is just a walking, talking, undead red flag. He's just the embodiment of a red flag. It's mad, isn't it? What Watching her at night, sleeping is the obvious one, like following her and turning up when she's in trouble with those guys, the way that he's like angry and possessive when she talks to Jake. I struggle to work out when he's actually at his worst in terms of these relationships. And we'll go on to this a bit more. But the abusive, coercive red flag elements are quite a lot. And they do start early.
1: They do definitely. and But I will say, I think that this is the app instalment where he is at his least overbearing. And yet in it, he is overbearing. Yeah, he's
0: he doesn't say a lot in this film that is no. red flag. It's just his act. Actions and the way that he looks at her, obviously, because he wants to eat her, which is a red flag in and of itself in a completely different <laughs> way. But I don't know, it was it was so more apparent this time watching it. Can we talk slightly about Robert Pattinson and his relationship to this franchise? Of course. Because, again, a couple of bits of funny trivia that I read One is that Catherine Hardwick talked about struggling to find someone to play Edward. And then she got a call about a guy in London and she said, quote, I looked at a couple of pictures and was like, I'm not sure. He'd been fired from his last job. He was unemployed and he was in debt. So that, I feel like, summarises it all. Jesus. Perfectly. I, he's so funny, isn't he? He just hasn't changed as a person.
1: I just really like how he, like, as the films go on, he is, like, progressively having the worst time. There are parts of it where he genuinely looks like he would rather be, like, anywhere else but there. Like, it's so funny. Yeah, we me. were
0: joking that first time when he meets Bella and he looks like he wants to vomit. I think is just... I don't know. I, I sense that, that he's, he's just, like, innate, overwhelming desire to get off that film set. We'll have to link to that montage reel on YouTube of like Rob Pattinson hates Twilight because it honestly makes me laugh more than possibly anything else. There's like him talking about how when he read the book, he read it and just thought this wasn't a book that's supposed to be published (laughs) and talks about how like he thinks Stephanie Mayer's insane because I mean, he honestly thinks she thinks she's Bella and his, his perspective on it and the fact that he just absolutely cannot hide the fact that he hates doing these films makes me laugh so much
1: his level of weird contempt for the franchise is quite funny right and also he's
0: so much hotter now than he was in these films it is i
1: mean i think that for me twilight is Winnie. he is at his hottest which is why i probably was very yeah. team edward because i think as like as they progress he just becomes visually like less like robert pattinson i feel like he just gets a bit tory wanker which is weird he doesn't even look like him facially like they put so much makeup on him where it gets to a point where like it doesn't even look like like when we were watching it last night when we watched the last one i was like like googling pictures of robert pattinson like reminding myself like no he is hot like
0: it's not like you're just a bit like you've made of continuity in these films with makeup and wigs and it's just the wig budget they just completely change every single film it's so funny it's like what the fuck have you done to them and they just get progressively more batshit like they're all losing their minds um okay let's move on to (laughs) new moon which as we said was 2009 directed by chris white's who also directed Golden Compass, um, again, which says enough, but also co-wrote Rogue One, which is interesting. Oh, okay. So again, this is my plot synopsis. I think I I had a good time with this one. Due to a ridiculous accident that begins with a paper cut that ends with Bella (laughs) almost having her arm ripped off, Edward makes the difficult decision to leave Forks behind to keep her safe. Bella becomes self-destructive but becomes closer to Jacob and he attempts to distract her from her sorrows by helping her renovate a weather-beaten motorbike. I'm pretty sure that was off Wikipedia. (laughs) When Bella encounters a former adversary with a sizeable grudge, she's rescued from harm at the last second by a pack of enormous ferocious werewolves. Spoiler, wonder who that is. Then in what must be the most epic miscommunication in the history of cinema, Edward thinks that Bella has died and decides that he's going to kill himself in Venice. Everyone just needs to calm down. Calm the fuck down. I, for one, am grateful that Jacob appears in this film. Uh, And is introduced to this love triangle because I truly don't think we would have made it just with Bella and Edward.
1: No, I mean, this, I think I really like New Moon. Well, I thought I really liked New Moon. And then when we were rewatching it, I was like, there's not like the overbearing elements of Edward where he just becomes more over the top and controlling and jealous that if Jacob wasn't there, it just would have been like unbearable. Absolutely unbearable. Jacob really roots this one, like grounds it. It's funny, really, because I don't particularly find Taylor Lautner, like, attractive. Like, I don't. Mm-hmm. But I just think that Jacob Black as a character, and him playing Jacob Black, actually. He's so good. It's so endearing. And a thing I read today is that Chris White wanted to recast for the role because he didn't think that Taylor Lautner... Because he was so young. I think he was only 18 in this film. Yeah, he was tiny, wasn't he? Absolute baby. And I think that they were, he was concerned that he wouldn't be able to, like, bulk up for, like, the, you know... Jacob's mm-hmm. shift into being werewolf but I mean he does it I just think he's so nice he just seems like such a
0: nice guy I definitely buy Jake and Bella's chemistry yeah Ooh. That cinema trip where they go to the... Is it in this... I think it's in Newman where they go to the cinema with Mike. Yeah. Um, that's so funny. And I absolutely buy their chemistry so much more. The things that I thought work in this film are the cinematography is a lot stronger. It's really funny how it pops, doesn't it? Right. And they, they've they sort of deliberately used this golden palette to contrast with the first film, which I think really works. But there's also like... There's the scene with Bella in her room when she's in her fit of depression with the camera moving round, which I think is sick. And then Bella and Jake, when they're doing up the motorbike as well, I seem to remember there's like a time lapse style thing going on, which I do think the cinematography is better in this. Yeah. The score's really good. The score's so good. I think actually this might be my favourite of the... I think it's stronger because you've got Boniver, haven't you? You've got Tom York. Go on, list it. Likey Lee. Oh,
1: that Likey Lee song where Bella is massively depressed in her
0: um, her bedroom.
1: And all the seasons change. It was us during lockdown. Can't relate at all. That definitely hasn't been us at any point. Um, Yeah, so you've said uh, Likey Lee, Tom York. Bonnie Vera, Death Cat for Cutie. Oh, there is a Christ, yeah. Killers song as well. Yeah. OK Go, Grizzly Bear.
0: This is the strong... This might be the stronger yeah, one. Yeah, there's
1: an editor's song on there as well. Um, Band of Skulls. I think this might be the best one. Because I think, for me, to be honest, when I was thinking about like my favourite songs, as much as I love those two Paramore songs, which are on the first one, mm-hmm. that... Rosalind with um, the Bon Iver and Saint Vincent oh, yeah. collaboration is like one. Of, it's just such a beautiful song.
0: I think those songs are really well placed. As in, they they take place in really memorable. Like apart from yeah. the Iron and Wine song in the first film, yeah. which is a very distinctive scene. I most of the scenes that I remember with yeah a very prominent song with them are from New Moon. I think yeah,
1: because there's the Lucky like Lee song is like mm-hmm. such a standout track. It's mm-hmm. I. It's really funny to me actually when we were where we watching these i don't think i'd realize that is that there i think there is a muse song on on every
0: soundtrack oh is it every soundtrack i feel like there is which i think it's just a bit embarrassing again i think that might be stephanie mayer's influence because i'd read that she was definitely consulted on the soundtrack for the first film Mm -hmm. and she said that she listened to like muse oh this makes me curl up and die um she listened to muse and linkin park while she was writing the novels oh cute what a new metal queen um cute what a cutie again literally nothing happens in this film Like it's so except Bella and Jake building a motorbike and Edward going on holiday. If you had to
1: ask me to like recall this from memory, like I think the only thing I would be would be that like. Bella gets clinical depression because her boyfriend ghosts her and goes to Italy but then she also puts together a motorbike with her friend. Like that's that's right. it. That's all that
0: happens. That's basically it. That's it. And there's a load of Romeo and Juliet parallels that make me want R&J. to die. Oh my God. But again, like so teen angst, isn't it? It's just on the money. Um, Edward's behaviour in this, again, particularly bad. Abandons her, threatens to hurt himself if anything happens to her repeatedly. There's a really interesting interesting thing i found which was a live journal entry and i think this actually relates to eclipse but i'll mention it now because i think it applies across the board and someone on live journal used the national domestic violence hotline there's like a list of signs that like signs to look out for if you're in an emotionally or physically abusive relationship and this person went through and Basically, ticked what pertained to Edward. So, and I think it basically said, like, if you can tick one of these boxes, you might be in an abusive relationship. And it literally ticks every single box. It's just, it's real. I, I can't tell if it's just like what happens
1: when you watch it as an adult or if it was always mm-hmm. there and, and we just completely were of an age where it,
0: it didn't do anything. If we'd been adults with kids when this came out and we took our kids to see this, would we have been like, holy mother of what is this? Eclipse, so Eclipse is the third film that was directed by David Slade, who directed Hard Candy, 30 Days of Night, um, and has also directed episodes of Breaking Bad, Hannibal, American Gods, Black Mirror. Eclipse, again, is one of my blind spots. I feel like I just, I don't know, I'm just not really sure what happens in this film, but we have... Victoria, who keeps cropping up as the antagonist, she creates this army of newborn vampires and gets this new boyfriend. Bella and Edward are arguing over marriage because Bella thinks she's too young to get married. But Edward refuses to turn her into a vampire until she agrees to marry him, which is certainly coercive. Edward spends a lot of time trying to force Bella to stop seeing Jake. Jacob lets the side down by telling Bella that he loves her and forcibly kissing her against her will. And then the vampires and the werewolves have to team up to defeat Victoria and her newborn army. Bella realises she loves Jacob, but, quote, not as much as Edward. Jesus. This is basically where we get into full-blown Mormon territory because Stephanie Mayer is a Mormon. I've read someone else online called this film Abstinence Porn, which I really enjoyed. (laughs) (laughs) Poor Bella is just absolutely randy for it and um but sex is really 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 bad
1: yeah so this is the thing so you you said that like edward won't turn her into a vampire until they're married but the big plot point there is that she absolutely wants to have sex and edward will not do it because he is a man of tradition and just wants to be married so boring despite the fact that they're like 18 years 17 18 (laughs) years old and he's just like no we must be married like i fully respect everyone's choice in life to live their life as they wish but like it's It's so maddening how it's just this weird, like, him making such a big
0: deal, like, telling her they have to get married in order... Right, remaining celibate until they get married, like, and that's, like, the... And him holding that against her as in, like, he will not do other things with her unless she does this, so she can't become a vampire unless she agrees to marry him, even though she kind of doesn't want to do it because she feels it's too soon. Alarm bells are plenty. And I do feel like, what yeah, this is where the kind of abstinence narrative just really takes. I mean, it's not subtle. No, it really starts to go over
1: the top. I mean, the thing about Eclipse I find interesting is it was released in the summer, which is weird to me. don't know why they did that, ruined everything. I don't have any overwhelming feeling about eclipse other than the fact that like just victoria is like not a good big bad at all
0: no one cares about her at all i think they could have just cut that out. I'd completely forgotten that they changed actresses. Like, it becomes Bryce Dallas Howard. Yeah, they did. And I think the original actress was
1: just, like, cut out. I don't think she even really knew why. I think I read that it was to do with, like, a scheduling conflict, but the overlap... I bet that's bullshit, man. She says the overlap that she would have had between roles because she was doing something else was only five days and the fact they were like, we can't make it work is just, like, a load of crap, I think.
0: Liars. lies. The good things about this film are the tent scene which i really like so yeah. when jacob yeah. is being the hot water bottle for bella that is again nice. that's where i really buy their chemistry and he has that conversation with edward there is finally a bit more action so we do have this idea of i guess there's slightly more threat with the newborn vampires yeah. and the werewolves teaming up with the vamp i sound ridiculous I Just realized <laughs> how ridiculous i sound talking about this and also we get I think it's in Eclipse that we get some backstory for some of the Cullens and we get Rosalie's backstory. Oh, the flashback. Is, That's horrible. Again, that? incredibly dark. So dark. She's essentially gang raped and left for dead. My God, it's so dark. But I really like
1: Rosalie as a character. I'm just looking at the soundtrack for Eclipse, which is again very good. You've got Metric, you've got Sire, you've got Black Keys, you've got. There's a collaboration with Beck and Bat for Lashes, which is
0: oh my god, yeah,
1: the Vampire Weekend and Uncle as well. So odd.
0: These are really I don't good. I
1: why the soundtracks are so good.
0: It's insane. Who to was me. compiling these? What also, excellence.
1: this is something that shows you how long ago that it was is that according to wikipedia the track list for the film the film soundtrack was revealed during a special all-day reveal event on the album's
0: myspace page amazing back in the myspace days did they space was it just like every hour they released just one song yeah i assume i'm sure we were past myspace at that point i think
1: we were but who knows
0: yeah as you say like Not giving a shit about Riley or Victoria is quite a key thing that doesn't work in this. Yeah. Also, this is where I start to also get a bit confused because Jake lets the side down by forcing himself on Bella. Oh, yeah. I can't quite get the sense of whether... Is Stephanie Meyer making a point here about the men in these films? Or does she honestly think that this is sexy? And this is where it comes into the whole teenage fantasy about men being mysterious and domineering and aggressive and all of that mess do you know what i mean
1: yeah i 100% do and but the thing i always come back to regarding stephanie meyer and the twilight series is that it inspired what then became Fifty Shades of Grey, which is then just mm-hmm. a whole other level of problematic.
0: So I think at its core, that it's got some real deep-seated issues. There is, right? Um, Breaking Dawn Part One, they split this final book in half. The first half was directed, well, actually they were both directed by Bill Condon, weren't they? Yeah. Um, which is a really hard name not to mispronounce. Bit awkward. Uh, he directed Gods and Monsters, Kinsey and Dreamgirls. Apparently, Sophia Coppola was rumoured at one point for this film to direct this film
1: I absolutely dispute that there's absolutely no way that Sofia Coppola in
0: 2011 would have gone near this By rumours, do you think they like someone said they quite like that
1: I think she was probably on a she was probably on a list of names where Wish people list. were like
0: oh wouldn't it be good
1: if Sofia Coppola did this Can you
0: imagine no can way can you imagine absolutely. she would not just touch that happen in the barge would it? Pole. no way no I appear to have got a bit bored with the plot lines at this point because I just put in fact i think i just pasted this bella and edward must deal with the chain of consequences brought on by a marriage honeymoon and the tumultuous birth of a child which brings an unforeseen and shocking development for jacob black Truly, this is where the wheels fall off and everything goes completely. I insane. hate this.
1: I hate part one so much. <laughs> I hate it. So what is the point in splitting them up? Because like this all could have been condensed into
0: one film. There is not enough for two films here.
1: The fact that like no no one in their lives is concerned about the fact that they've literally graduated from high school and they're getting married. The fact that everyone apparently gets their invitations the day before the wedding. Like, that's not how it works. I don't
0: understand. The budget for this wedding is insane. I don't think that blossom is seasonal, you know. I don't think it is. Yeah, I don't know where they imported that from, but I don't think it's legal.
1: Bella just stops being Bella properly after this. She just becomes, like,
0: robot. True robot version of herself.
1: The only reason that this film should exist is, one, for the bed-breaking scene, which is simultaneously, like, the funniest and most embarrassing thing in the entire world. That honeymoon is, I mean, the bruises on that girl. Well, it's just embarrassing that, like, they just... I mean, Bella's unbearable horniness... Is like so. She does funny. basically
0: pressure Edward into sex.
1: She just goes from being like, oh yeah, like we should have sex, and he's like, No, we should get married. She's like, Yeah, okay, cool, cool, cool. And then like they have they first have sex together, and then that's it. She's just like absolutely like relentless.
0: She is relentless, isn't she? She's an absolute thirsty, thirsty bitch. Absolutely. I think the only thing that I like about this film is that. It's inexplicably very gory for a film of this certificate, which I assume was a 12A. But the only gory thing about it is centred around motherhood. Oh, it's horrible. And there's that bit where Bella's back literally breaks.
1: No. Due to the baby,
0: which is... And also the scene that is extremely akin to Alien where Bella's baby is ripped out of her and then her corpse is just left on screen. It's just a lot. There's so much, like,
1: really needlessly intense imagery in this and also just the overwhelming like super pro-lifey vibe the number of
0: times you could make a drinking game with the number of times they use the word choice
1: i don't i'm not it's not my vibe really i just like you know again do what you want but it's just it's really overbearing and i don't think i like rosalie as a character but it becomes quite What is she going on? Yeah. It just becomes quite intense about the fact that essentially there comes a point where, like, this baby is like sucking Bella's absolute will and physical ability
0: to live. It's gonna kill her, basically. There's like a 99% chance that this is supposed to kill her and yeah and it watching it i think as an adult when you've like
1: experienced things in the world and you've just got a bit more i don't know the wizened nature of old
0: age it's just not okay it's not okay at all mad isn't it yeah there's like the simultaneous you've got jake and edward who are telling her that the baby is a thing and they want to force Bella to abort it, mixed with Rosalie trying to keep Bella on track and keep this baby at a risk to her life. And then Edward, the moment he feels the baby's thoughts, is like the, oh, it's a real living baby. It's just very,
1: very strange mixed messaging.
0: Bella playing with the baby names, though, makes me
1: die. Oh, you mean Renesmo? Charlisle. Charlisle. Well,
0: I think Charlisle, you'll find, was uh, my suggestion. that
1: if, if I know, Robert boy,
0: Charlisle. Robert Charlisle. I love it so much. Two other things. The bit where they are googling vampire babies, there's a bit in that Rob Pattinson hates Twilight reel where he's doing an impression of them googling because he says they're like 300-year-old like super geniuses but they have to google to find out like what happens with vampire babies because they don't understand it I picked
1: up on quite a lot the use of technology in this film in the sense that they're always like googling things and then showing you like what they're googling like in the first in in Twilight when Bella is like
0: vampire cold skin cold skin the cold ones <laughs> the cold and it zooms in yeah. on like particular words as if your eyes when you're reading you zoom in on like one particular word <laughs> and highlight. like your eyes are binoculars <laughs> <laughs> can i also say before we move on to part two wesley fully fully thought i was talking shit when i told him preemptively that jake would quote-unquote imprint on this newborn baby he was like there's absolutely no way that happens you are pulling my leg and his shock and disgust oh <laughs> When it really happened, he could not believe his ears and eyes. It was... It was just too much. It's just absurd. It's just absurd. It doesn't make any sense.
1: There's no need for it. It didn't make sense in the books. And it didn't make sense, (laughs) like, now. Are you trying to apply logic to this film? I am, but it doesn't work. Like, it just doesn't... It was one of those things where it's like, there are many things about this franchise, about the books, about the films, that are, like, utterly absurd and that don't make sense and, like, aren't okay. And then there's this one big thing which... (laughs) It's just, like, next level. Like, it just doesn't
0: make any sense. Should we talk about part two? Oh, go on, then. Still directed by Bill Condon. Belle is now a vampire, and she lives happily with Edward and their daughter, Renesmee. What would your name be if you combined your mum and T's mum? <laughs> Sam, or oh. Pooh.
1: so there we go. <laughs> That's finished me Or off. it would be um, Poozan, or...
0: <laughs> Samala, stop! Oh, I'm hysterical. Yeah, mine's not funny. It would be Manice or Delaney. So there you go. <laughs> I think Baby Pooh is the one to go. Yeah, catch you. Eh? I've just done too much laughing today. Right, so carrying on. Someone informs or misinforms the Volturi that who we haven't even spoken about yet that Renesmee is immortal which apparently is a big issue and the latter according to wikipedia set out to kill the child and the culprit the culprit of what i don't know yeah do you know what upon what rewatching this I'm going to say that this is better than I remember. My favourite thing about rewatching this last night, so
1: we did the final stretch of it last night, was the fact that you spent about half an hour, or 40 minutes being like, I'm really worried there's no plot in this. Does anything actually happen? And then as soon as it all kicked off, you were like, this is really good. I completely Wax, forgot lyrical. how good this, <laughs> this is. This film is the best. Favourite, favourite film. God, like, I think it's good because you get, like, the full extent of the full story and then you also get, like, vampires from around the world i quite liked that it's like it's a small world it's like but it's with a small world with <laughs> vampires <laughs> and bad accents like it's worth it for the fight scene and for michael sheen like fully hamming it up as arrow yeah it's not worth
0: it for the weird cgi baby <laughs> i think the baby is i just don't even know what to do with the baby I just why is the CGI so bad it's awful. when they had a production budget of 136 million it's ridiculous and it wasn't even that long ago just use a real baby why didn't they just use a real baby I don't understand were all babies busy that day why did they have a baby and they put a fake baby's face over the top of the baby I just don't understand I would this. rather that they just used a, like a doll like a really obvious doll just a baby born would do yeah and we would all
1: pretend that it was real but like we knew that it was just a fake baby and we would just be we would be fine with it.
0: I don't understand why they There is so much bad CGI in this film because to begin with when Bella's getting used to her new vampire powers and she's sort of experiencing hunting and running at light speed and pretending to be alive, all of the CGI is so bad. It's really hokey and it wasn't even that long ago. Really, really hokey. It's a lot. But then saying that, I mean, actually, let's go through the bad things. So yes, the CGI is probably the worst thing about this by far. The fact that Jacob nicknames Bella's newborn child Nessie, you named my daughter after the Loch Ness monster. Da, da, da. I like that Edward and Bella's uh Randy sex scenes are basically just a lot of kissing and shots of feet rubbing. <laughs>
1: oh my god.
0: Uh, interspersed with some fireworks, literal fireworks. They do get the little cottage though, don't they? They do the cottage in the woods that no one knew existed that they've hired I don't know grand designs or diy sos to pull together (laughs) poor charlie is just tortured throughout the entire franchise but i mean in this they just refuse to tell him things you know he's worried that bella's dying and then she's absolutely fine and it's just his poor emotions are just all over the shop charlie swan most patient man ever i think we should discuss charlie because i think we have safely both reached the conclusion that he is extremely hot dad
1: A hundred percent.
0: Like, unbearably so. What a babe. And easily the most sympathetic character in this film. Well, yeah, completely. Like, his tolerance for
1: all of this is just, like, untenable. And, And he is just, like, the hottest consistently hottest throughout all all four or five i would say he is you're right that is that is fact hard facts his his appearance doesn't change his wig doesn't get worse because it's probably his he no, just natural looks more hair. frazzled yeah just looks
0: more and more frazzled and tortured with every film that passes but in defense i do like the fight scenes They do feel a bit like a fight on a playground after school. (laughs) Scrap. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's not exactly like the big showdown that you get in, like, Lord of the Rings, is it? No. There's about 20 people there. Bella does make a hot vampire. Yeah, she's pretty hot. The Cullens look slightly less deranged, I think, in terms of wig and makeup. That's a bold statement that I'm not entirely sure I back, but I support you. The thing about the conflict in this film is that we get to it quickly So the Volturi, the conflict with the Volturi crops up pretty quickly, within 40 minutes, which is basically light speed for these films. (laughs) Um, It also makes more sense. So you've got some actual wider threat because the Volturi want to take away the freedom of anyone with any special abilities. Sure. So I think that's legit. And also this idea of like everyone fighting to maintain their difference. I think Arrow says something like, only the known is safe, only the known is tolerable. So it's like, I don't know. I just think it from an outside perspective this is the only film that actually kept wesley's attention i think the thing is why i get frustrated with it though because i just feel like if there
1: was actually this level of like consistent plot drive in all of then like it's why i think the last two should have been the same film because i feel like this packs enough punch where actually you could have just
0: had the wedding you could have just cut breaking dawn one yeah true also one more thing i like that When we get It's a Small World with all of the vampires and they come from their various places around the world. You know when the Irish ones arrive because (laughs) they wear flat caps and they're ginger. (laughs) And they say, top of the morning to you. Hello. Hello. That That was a terrible accent. Let's move on to the legacy of this film before we do our summing up. Because I don't even know where to begin with any of this really. But whatever your opinion of the books and the films, the legacy... Of them seems pretty incredible in terms of putting kind of YA culture on the map, mm. you know, books, cinema, everything as a market. And also that like adult YA crossover audience. So I was thinking about how like, adults were becoming fully obsessed with these films and these books as well. Oh,
1: yeah, 100%. I know that from an anecdotal point of view of uh, my workplace, that the only reason that we have, like, a specific area for, like, those crossover books where I guess they're teen, but they've got, like, slightly more adult films, which essentially just means they're full of sex, (laughs) is because of Twilight. It's because there was such a big boom afterwards. And I know from, like, a publishing point of view from work as well is that there was, like post twilight there was a really big drive towards like ya front, especially like book series as well so like mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. multiple installments in it there is now like quite a Downturn when it comes to like teen and YA books because of like the momentous push that Twilight and then things like Hunger Games and like Divergent and Maze Runner, like all of those series, mm-hmm. because of the sort of way they were propelled upwards, there's now like a mm-hmm. massive downturn because those kind of popular
0: series, there isn't as much uptake now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It's a specific moment in time, isn't it? I mean, I was thinking in terms of like in terms of paranormal romance, I was looking it up and I mean, Twilight wasn't the first... Like, Vampire Diaries, for example, was published first in the 90s. And that had, you know, very similar features in terms of sort of the love triangle and vampires and all the other creatures, Mm. blah, blah, blah. Charlene Harris's Southern Vampire Chronicles, whatever they're called, I think came out just before as well. I think it was like 2001, something like that. So it was definitely... These sort of paranormal romance novels were definitely a thing before Twilight existed, but... It definitely gave them a renewed interest. And as you say, like those YA book series, like the Hunger Games and everything else. Yeah, like the, the demand for those just wouldn't have been anywhere near the same if Twilight hadn't existed. Oh, 100%. And, and the fanfic legacy as well, which I think you have to acknowledge. Like Fifty Shades of Grey, which I don't know how that fares in terms of like box office income next to Twilight. But I bet it's pretty huge. I bet it's almost on par which is insane. It's when you think about the fact that it was essentially Twilight fan fiction, which is just mad to me. Right. I'm glad we can all make money from fan fiction nowadays. It's a good thing. Your final thoughts then is, is Twilight good? I mean, Wesley called it the decline of Western civilization (coughs) yesterday. So I'm sensing that he didn't love it. What do you think? (laughs) So objectively,
1: I don't think it's good. No. From like an actual, like critical narrative, potentially moral point of view. It just, like... I was just actually quite taken back by, like, how much it doesn't hold up on so many Mm -hmm. levels. And also, I think that there's a lot to be said about that in terms of... I don't think time has been kind to it whatsoever. And also, I think it's slightly weird and maybe potentially disturbing to think about how it probably shaped a lot of people's perceptions of relationships, like... Yeah. For, like, an entire generation... That said, for me, it is so tied into a particular moment in time that I do get mm-hmm. a lot of fondness from rewatching them and I do like i think Twilight like the first film is my favorite for that particular reason because it is just mm-hmm. such a it was like such a like Cultural reset, as they say, like it just was this big, Oof. massive big deal, and then that was like it for like four, four mm-hmm. or five years. Like that was just like yet yeah, obsessed with this, fully love it, like you know. And I think there's a lot to be said about the fact that it is like pretty both Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart had acted previous to this. Like this wasn't their true like first you mm-hmm. know big mm-hmm. role, but it was a huge breakout for them. And you know, like as much as I'm sure they're kind of embarrassed by the films themselves I don't think they'd be
0: able to do what they're doing now in terms of picking projects no not at all especially Rob Hansen without these films and um, I think he probably would acknowledge that even if he doesn't particularly like
1: them. yeah absolutely And I think that like as much as he like has been quite outspoken about the fact that he doesn't particularly enjoy the films or didn't enjoy doing them or whatever like mm-hmm. it is quite funny to think about the fact that like without it he probably wouldn't be able to go and do like all of the absolutely weird shit that like he does now and like christian stewart's the same you know like i um watched an interview with her the other day where she was kind of talking about like but she was talking about fame in particular and how that's been something that she's obviously found quite difficult to grapple with over the years and obviously it's not, it kind of goes without saying that so much of like Twilight and its legacy is then tied into the fact that like for a while Robert Pattinson and Christian Stewart were dating and their relationship was like under such scrutiny and I think that they both really suffered from the fact that like there was such a preoccupation with their private lives and what was happening with them and it's just quite funny to look back on it now and kind of like look at their careers, look at the stuff they've done and both of them actually have kind of like slightly veered away from the mainstream as much oh yeah absolutely they, they have come back at points like christian stewart recently did the charlie's angels remake mm-hmm. and like robert pattinson's also obviously in the throes of making a batman film at the moment but they have also kind of really dived headfirst first into like more indie filmmaking like working with like really interesting filmmakers like i was looking back through robert pattinson's filmography last night and it's just really interesting to sort of look at that immediate aftermath of the oh, last yeah. Twilight film, where he goes and works with like, like makes a film like Map to the Stars or like Cosmopolis. Like these are like extremely like bizarre films and then ends up working so with bizarre. like the Safties and then Claire, um, Claire Denis. Like, you know, all these incredible, interesting directors. And Kristen Stewart's like, absolutely the same. So without Twilight they both wouldn't be where they are now. So if that's the one thing that I took away from this franchise was like fair play to them because like I wouldn't say that either of them are particularly at their best in this franchise whatsoever.
0: Yeah I'd be interested to know whether twilight just gave them the capital to be able to go and make those films that they actually wanted to make or whether they went into twilight thinking that was this you know that was the sort of level of success they wanted but as a result of their experience they then went back and wanted to involve themselves in projects that were very different i just yeah i'd be interested to know it's that.
1: interesting to think about isn't it whether actually like it was
0: was it nature or nurture? Yeah, completely. Was it a purpose
1: or career choice or actually was the reason why they are now because of this? I think that's like a... I think
0: you could debate that for like
1: absolutely ages.
0: As you were saying, like, I mean, it does concern... It troubles me a lot that Stephanie Meyer plays so many of these aspects and so much of these books so straight. So obviously the abstinence and the pro-choice narrative and also the behaviour of the men in Bella's life and... It is is really worrying. I mean, Ashley, we watched these with our friend Ashley and it's worth just, she was sort of sending her thoughts earlier and she was, her take was, why does Maya hate women? All of the females in the Cullen clan have also awful transition stories. So abusive husband, rape, mental asylum, vampire birth, you know, turned by a guy to be pimped. Like what is the the message for the reader in this? And it, it is concerning. And as you say, like this, I can see it shaping our attitudes of a whole generation from having watched this, but it's also sort of, I don't know. It kind of, it's concerning that a fully grown woman is writing stories like this anyway. And it, it plays into teenage fantasy so much. And you think like, actually we, it is really emblematic of how like teenage girls are sort of raised to an extent to, to fantasize about like, dominating mysterious aggressive men yeah completely it's just i do like these films and as you say in particular like twilight the first film has got so much teenage angst it is a lot of fun but those middle films and especially that fourth film with breaking dawn part one they were a lot more uncomfortable rewatching them than i remember it's also a shame that so many of them were directed by men like we had Catherine hardwick and then Nothing.
1: I think I hadn't realised actually that all of the following films afterwards were directed exclusively by men, which mm-hmm. I think that's a real shame because I think that like Catherine I Hardwick do is a director whose work... I've enjoyed, she did Lords of Dogtown Mm. as well, or about the California skate culture and Mm. I mean 13 is like a very interesting film and again, you know, kicking off the career of like Evan Rachel Wood so it's a real shame actually, I think I would have been I think she would have done very interesting and slightly different things I think but it's quite telling that like, I often feel like the first in a franchise like this definitely tests the waters a bit Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I imagine that like in the same way that I know that a lot was changed in the films that then came after Fifty Shades of Grey mm-hmm. because the woman he wrote those did not like the first film and sam taylor johnson's direction on it like she didn't like it so she's put on her parts which you know fine you're the mm-hmm. creator of the content so you can do what you want but i think it would have been completely different if a woman had been at the helm for all four of them or five of them and i do what i think now actually if they were made then they're probably more likely to be the case in the same way that you've got women that are in charge of franchises you know like wonder woman like the mm-hmm. birds of prey you know like quite a few big franchises that have made a real effort to having female directors because they are telling Mm -hmm. female stories so
0: yeah I can imagine and this is a really cynical point of view kind of linked to that I can imagine these big wigs in Hollywood giving the go ahead for the first film like not taking it seriously thinking it you know it could either do well or completely flop and sort of taking a relatively small risk on it and probably not taking not realising that the impact or the way that it would be sort of you know just the effect that it would have and like completely, the reaction it completely. would have and then when it truly kicked off it was like oh okay wow this is a really big deal this is really serious we can capitalise on this let's bring the men in now Yeah. <laughs> like I don't know I think I'm being Being a complete cynic though. No, I um, I definitely, I I can see that. What was your
1: ranking of the films? So I've just looked at this. I don't think I'm entirely happy with what I've ranked it, but I do think... You're going to hate mine, so don't worry. I do think that they get progressively worse as they go on. So my (laughs) ranking was Twilight, New Moon... Eclipse, Breaking Dawn 2 and then if I have to include Breaking Dawn 1 it would be absolutely last but I don't want to include it. Um, But no actually I think I would maybe place Breaking Dawn 2 above Eclipse but I'm not entirely sure. What is yours?
0: I think you're gonna hate mine. I put Twilight is first. Completely fine. Then I put Breaking Dawn part 2. That's fine I understand. (laughs) Then Eclipse, then New Moon and then Breaking Dawn part 1.
1: Interesting I don't think even Breaking Dawn part 1 should even be on the list.
0: I think it should just be the top four shouldn't it? If we can skip...
1: I think you could skip it, like, really easily.
0: Yeah, that'd be fine. Just put in a bit of filler. It's fine. Oh. Well, that was wonderful. Thank you so much. What a treat. I'm really glad we did this. We'd welcome everyone's thoughts on um, watching and re-watching, or even rereading the books for this phenomenon and uh yeah I just want to hear people's opinions really.
1: Yeah me too. I want to hear everyone's hottest takes especially if you do spend the time rewatching this over the next few days, weeks, months wherever. Like it's it was a very interesting experiment which I'm glad that we um entertained over the last week finally, the thing I've missed most of all, not that I've not spoken to you, but because I tell you these things every single day of our lives anyway, but it's nice to have a public forum in which to air them. So what is your obsession of the week, Steph?
0: Okay, I'm going to go first because I want to give you the floor for this (laughs) afterwards. And it is recapping a little bit. So going back to the Devil All The Time trailer that dropped and being blessed with Bill Skarsgård in particular is something that brings me great joy because I'm just... I don't know. I'm just absolutely obsessed with him. I just think he's an absolute weirdo. He's just brilliant. Top tier Skarsgård. Love him so much. So he has definitely, as of today, been... I think we've spent a lot of time with Alex Skarsgård recently, and it's been really nice to reconnect with him and realise how much I like him as an actor. And I think he's um, a great person and extremely attractive. But um, his like weird, weirdo little brother definitely pips him to the post a little bit for reasons I can't even begin to explain it's just sort of innately built into me the other thing i want to give a shout out to quickly is harry styles's mustache oh my because gosh during this hiatus we have not had a chance to discuss this harry has grown this rather large rather dense mustache during his travels in italy and he was somewhere else as well but mostly italy And I'm extremely here for it and I think it actually suits him quite well, which might be a controversial take, but I just think it's great. I
1: don't think it's that controversial because I think I've leaned leaned into it quite a lot, really. I think think he's making
0: it work. I was surprised that he would work the ageing, maturing angle quite well, but he, yeah, I just think he looks great. I think he looks really good.
1: Just a quick question for you. Who do you think will age better, Harry or Timmy?
0: Oh, Harry, hundred percent.
1: That's what that's my feeling, but I didn't want to bring it up.
0: Instinctively it's Harry.
1: Yeah, that's fine.
0: I think Timmy'll do pretty well, but yeah, I think Harry is sort of ageless in that I, he's just built in a way that means that he will suit any age.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: It's my hot take for the evening. Thanks. Do you want to take us through your obsession? Because it's just way funnier.
1: <laughs> okay, so, um, God, where do I even start? Why, why did I even start this? It's Shire Go season. Go on, you weirdo. It's absolute Shire season. So one thing I've really enjoyed during lockdown is um, just spending a lot of time on the internet. P.S. I do that all the time, anyways. This is not exclusively <laughs> lockdown. I
0: was gonna say, like, I love that you're trying to act like oh, that. Yeah, I never it. go
1: online eight and nine hours a day. Thanks, time check upon my phone. Um, so it is shire season for me at the moment. I. Shire LaBeouf, obviously. I, have we talked? We have definitely talked about Shire on the podcast before, haven't we? Oh, God, so much. Yeah, we definitely have. Smelly mattress boy. It's funny for <laughs> that. Uh, I do understand how he is a quite a contentious person, so I'm not expecting everyone to just be fully on board with me on this, but I will say that many things have happened that I just need to talk about just briefly. So, since lockdown, one thing, really important thing, is apparently back with Mia Goth. They are they are not split up anymore, so that's quite exciting for them.
0: Well oh, wow. Done. I love Mia Goth. I oh, mean discussed too, this before so much.
1: So I'm glad they've reconciled. That's really exciting for them. They also got a puppy. Now I saw the puppy was a thing because I saw some in- pictures on Instagram of paparazzi, of them holding this puppy. But then I found on the internet, there's the place they got the puppy from, which fully don't support this as well. Adopt, don't shop, guys come on anyway there was a video of this person delivering this puppy to their house and shire is just the best anyway and then we are going to talk about tax collector because i am going to bully you into doing this because it's absolutely fine ridiculous but shire has this theater <laughs> i sound unhinged i'm this is too late in the day to be talking about this and he has a theater group called slousen rec in south central in la and they do this like immersive theatre i don't know full on stuff anyway there was a video going around on instagram of twitter sorry of him getting a covid test because they are doing this theatre stuff but sensibly they are all getting covid tests every day anyway he tweeted a video of him getting a covid test and i have honestly watched this about 30 times in the last 24 hours you're such a freak (sighs) i don't know what's wrong
0: with me april he's getting a swab stuck up his nose (laughs) they're tickling his brain what are you talking about i don't know what it is man is it the pantera and the
1: (laughs) what was it was it a pantera mask it's a pantera mask and a megadeth t-shirt that's the one lovely combination I mean, one thing that we have talked about personally is that Shia LaBeouf is just an absolute trash, dirtbag-like person. Like, his Mm -hmm. personal hygiene levels, I do think, are quite questionable. Of course. So, yeah. I'm just fully in a Shia zone and it's really stressful for me and I can't can't begin to tell you how
0: both stressful and enjoyable it is. (laughs) I think if anyone wants any more, they just need to tune into your Twitter because it's just like a that account i purposefully did not initially put the covid testing video
1: upon my own timeline because i thought like no you really need to wind it in so i did it on the podcast account under the guise of like well the podcast coming back content great and then i went back through my own twitter account and then realized that and i'm gonna count them up now one two three four five six seven eight Yep, eight tweets in the last six days about Shia LaBeouf. I'm so sorry. I'm clearly going through
0: something. I think my favourite thing is that you also logged into your fucking burner account (laughs) to tweet the same video again. So I saw it three times from you. I'm so sorry. My burner account. Jesus. (laughs) Shame. That is basically what it is, though. (laughs) It's fine because I didn't give the address.
1: Anyway, I'm not sorry because I once watched three days of him live streaming, watching his own films. So, I mean, I've clearly got deep-seated issues. So there we go. We're going to do a Shire episode soon anyway. So there we go. Yes, we will. That's enough of
0: that wrap it up
1: um so that's us done you can find us online we're twitter at the thirst you can find us on podbean spotify and apple podcast by searching for the thirst 2 we're instagram we're at the thirst pod the thirstpod.wordpress.com is our blog and if you still use facebook you can find us over there at the thirst pod um goodbye bye <laughs>
0: should i do morgan 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 fox (laughs) morgan fox yes can you hello morgan fox um morgan fox am i right